Hello, and welcome to the Grove Church Podcast. I'm Charlie Lofton, the lead pastor there, and we are so glad that you're joining us. Whether you are a member and you're just catching up on a sermon that you missed, or you're someone who's brand new, we are really glad that you are joining us. And if you are new in some way, and I know that a lot of people will do that, will listen to sermons first before they visit, I want you to know that we would love to meet you at any point. You can join us live in our services on Sunday, 9 and 1030, or our streaming service at 1030. Either way, we would love to be able to get to know you. And regardless of why you are here uh, listening to this sermon today, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, good morning. Yeah, that's about how it went first service too. I mean, come on. I mean, it was just one hour, right? I mean, come on, we can be plenty. I mean, you can do some calisthenics here in a little bit, I guess. Hey, if you're new, I'm Charlie. We're really glad you're here. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're online, you're joining us here. Really glad that you are worshiping with us today on a day we're a little, a little tired. Uh, like Lauren said, we're starting a new series today. We just finished our uh, relationship series, and now we're starting a series. It's kind of lead us up to Easter. We'll be spending some time in the book of Hebrews um, all throughout this over the next five Sundays, just kind of getting our hearts, our minds ready, just kind of for the celebration of what Easter is. And so Hebrews um, is one of the longer letters in the New Testament doesn't really have an author that says who wrote it. I mean, it, you know, some people used to think that Paul wrote it, but doesn't really read like what he does, and it doesn't, doesn't have a lot of the same features. Um, but it is written probably by somebody in his circle, because a lot of the same ideas, but it looks like a different person kind of wrote it. But more than any other book, it was written toward, for Jewish people, people from a Jewish background. And so while most of them were kind of written towards non-Jews, this is the most Jewish of the letters, and, and, you, and you read it, you kind of experience that. And there's a lot of Old Testament references, both to verses and different practices and these kinds of things. And so what's happening here is we've got a group of people who grew up in the Jewish faith, who came to faith in Jesus, and for one reason or another are starting to kind of pull, pull away from their faith and are regressing back to what they had before, of just kind of their, their, their Jewish upbringing, both culturally, religiously, and, and, and moving away from Jesus. And so the, 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 the point here of what this guy's saying is, hey, listen, I, I, I know it was good. I know what, I know what we had as, as Jews and our relationship with God was good, but this is in fact better. And so we'll see him making this case all throughout that while this is good, this is actually better, even though it's difficult to believe. And this kind of got me thinking, and you're going to think that this is you're going to judge me a little bit, but it's fine. It's really totally fine because I, this is really something like, these are things I sincerely think about. Like when something comes out, I'm a, kind of a pop culture guy, and, the, and there's like a TV show or movie or something you really, really like, and then they make another one. Like but my heart wants to always like the original better, but sometimes the new ones are better, and that's really challenging for me. Any um, Yellowstone people out here in the audience today? You can't, you don't have the energy to even raise your hand. Come on, come on, come on. Okay, so it's really good. It's about this guy, big ranch in Montana and about preserving this kind of, you know, the, the cowboy way of life. It's really cool. But they've made these prequels from like 100 years, you know, 120 years earlier. And one of them stars Tim McGraw. And, and you're just like, there's no way it can be, it's, it's amazing. And I kept looking at my wife going, that's Tim McGraw. I, so anyways, I think, I think those prequels might be better. 
Right. Because I, this is the first time, because I've said this to people who are fans, and they don't disagree with me, but they look at me like I, like I hurt their feelings. Okay? Any Breaking Bad people out there? Yeah. Okay. You embar- you're embarrassed because you're in church, and that's about drugs. And so you're like, I can't cheer for that. So I haven't watched it either, but I'll pretend that I have. I think it's one of the top two best shows ever. And then Better, Saul, Better Call Saul came out, and I'm like, I like, I, I like this a lot. And then somewhere near the end of the next to last season, I was like, that thought kind of came to me again. What, what if this is better? Now, here's my most controversial one. And I'm not going to ask, because I'm going to assume everybody in here at least has some passing understanding of what Star Wars is. Maybe I didn't get enough sleep. Maybe I'm figuring that out right now. I don't have enough to deal with y'all. Um, so I am, I want to make sure, I'm going kind to of give my credibility here, right? I'm 51 years old. And I take pride. There have been 12 movies that have released in the cinema of Star Wars. And I am probably one of the very few people who is both old enough and committed enough long term. I've seen every one of them in the theater in their original release, right? Including six-year-old Charlie there just thinking this is the best thing that I have ever seen in my life. And so I love the originals. I was there when they were the original, when that was all there was. And then they came out several years ago with this one called Rogue One. And it is like what happens like right before the original. And this one hurts me more than any of them. I think it might be the best one. So you can just judge me later, nerds, if you'd like. Uh, but there's like, you, got to, you have something that's good, and you love it. And then something better comes along. And you, at least me, and again, I'm not joking here. I'm not making a joke. Like, this is something like I actually spend a lot of mental energy thinking about. Like, is it okay? Like, is, is it okay? Is it okay to, to recognize that this is better? And this is a battle. This is actually a spiritual theological battle that the, the people in the book of Hebrews, they're, they're, they're dealing with. I had this relationship with God. We were, we, were, we were God's chosen people. We had these rituals. We had these practices. We had this understanding. And then now, now Jesus has come. And at first they moved towards it, but now they're like, I'm, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. And the authors all throughout this, what Jesus is better. He's going he's to point to who Jesus is compared to the prophets. He's going to talk about what Jesus did on the cross compared to what happens um, in the rituals in the Old Testament over and over and over again. You've placed your hope in your identity as a Jewish person, but there's in fact a better hope. And we're here, some of us may still be new to the faith, or some of us may still be exploring the idea of the Christian faith, but we come here and we're drawn to this hope that Jesus has, but then there's all these other pulls of places where we might want to put our hope instead. The thing we kind of, the things that we kind of default to. And if you've been around here long enough, you understand, you've probably heard me rant about this before. A lot of us put our hope in the political system. And that somehow, that my, if my political party just was able to do this, or this were to happen, or this were to happen, if we could just have our person to be president and have both houses and all these things. And I've lived long enough to see your ideal scenario play out at least twice. And it's still, every time, we are just always one election cycle away. If just this next one, blah, 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 bl
Because you know, I don't know if you know this, this, this coming election is the most important in your lifetime. <laughs> and I'm old enough now to have had 10 most important elections in my lifetime at least. But here's the thing. Logically, if every election gets more and more important, then it can be true. This is the most important election, but then the next one is more important. But it seems unlikely, but there's this pull that somehow the system and the leaders of this system, that's where our hope can be. See a lot of this now. Our hope, my, our hope is in science. We use that word sometimes. We don't even know what it means. We, we use it very broadly. That science, technology, that if somehow we can just put our faith and trust in that, then all the healing and all the things that need to happen in the world, all our problems could be solved if we all just, quote, believed science. But most of us, just at its core, we're, where's my hope? It's in me. It's in my ability to solve my own problems. I'm smart. I work hard. I know things. It's in my money and my stuff. And with just a little bit more thinking from me, a little more, a little more money, then I put my hope and my trust in me. And all of those things have their benefits. Obviously, money allows you to have more freedom in a lot of things and, and, and can provide a measure of security and, you're a smart person, well put together, you understand things, and, and you can. You can, with a little bit of hard work, a little bit of training, a little bit of learning, a little bit of, you know, you can improve your life. And there's no doubt that te technology and science has made a lot of advancements that have improved our lives. And, you know, the one I'm least fired up about is our system and the people who run it. But even still, every now and then, they'll, they'll do things that can kind of elevate us. All of those things have a measure of hope to them. But what if there is a better hope? What if there is the best hope? And we, we need to be thinking over, these, over today and over these next few weeks about the different things that we default to. That when things get rough, this is where I put my trust. This is really where my hope is. We need to be able to be honest with ourselves about what that is. And then we need to learn and grow and allow God to do a, a transformative work in us to push us towards the better hope. So in Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to start here at the very beginning. No intro, no here's who I am, no how, how are you guys doing, just straight into the meat of this. He is immediately going to start talking to us and to the Hebrews about who Jesus Christ is. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past... God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. And it continues on in the rest of chapter 1 where uh, the author is looking at a lot of different Old Testament passages that really elevate and talk about how awesome and powerful Jesus is. And basically he's making this comparison. I mean, look at what it says here about the Messiah. Look at here what it says about Jesus. Never said anything like this about angels. Never, never, said, never said this, never said this, and really kind of working to kind of elevate Jesus above an angel. 
And it starts, the very beginning, in verse 1 here, it says, sure, God used to speak to our ancestors a lot of different ways, a lot of different times, through prophets. So he's talking about prophets. He's talking about angels. And in the middle of that, he's saying that Jesus is so much greater than that. So it would seem that they are struggling <coughs> with this idea that maybe Jesus was just an angel, like a really good angel. He was just another one of the prophets. And their idea about who Jesus is, it's, it's coming down. Maybe he's the best of them, but he's, he's a prophet. He's an angel. He is one of God's messengers. And, he's, and, and the author is going out of his way. He is not simply one of those. And so we'll say it this way. Jesus is much more. He's much more than a prophet. Jesus is not just some sort of prophet. And there are some religions out there, the biggest one um, that would believe this. I mean, a billion plus people uh, who, who follow Islam. Hey, Jesus was a prophet. He's a really good one. He had a lot of great things to say. He was a messenger from God. He was just a prophet. Even some of the offshoots of Christianity will talk like this. Jehovah's Witnesses will talk like this. You know, and I was, he, he, was, he was just a person. And, you know, Job's Witness might say he, he, he was the best of them. And, and, the, and, and the Muslims, they, they mean no insult to say that Jesus was a prophet. I mean, they feel like that that is actually a strong compliment. We, we think very highly of the one that you have centered your faith around. But he was just one of many messengers. And it seems to me that the Hebrews here have kind of fallen into one of these places. I, they respect, it seemed like they respect him. They understand him. He had some great things to say. He had a message to deliver from God. From the very beginning, right out of the gate. He's not just that. And there are a lot of people, not just simply... Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, and other religions. There's a lot of secular pull out there too. He's a great teacher. He's a great man. He's a great person. And, and there's all these pulls that we have. And it's going to be very important for us as we are getting our hearts and minds ready for Easter to think about what Jesus did, to make sure we're clear on who he is. And who he is, it matters. And very often, if you've been here long enough, you'll know that in a, in a controversy-driven world, that I'm not one who's just going to be like, I'm going to start calling people out, man. These people believe this, people believe this, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. This is not my nature. I'm, I'm, I don't know how much time you spent on the Twitter, right? But that, it, is a, it is a cesspool of anger very often. And it's just one of these things, it just, it just blows my mind. It's one thing like, to be one of these people who feels like, I need to be right all the time. I need to be right all the time. I need you all the time. I need you to know that I'm right all the time. It's another thing to be like, I'm, I'm going to read something that a stranger wrote. I don't know them. I don't need to know them. They wrote something wrong. And you're like, oh man. Only one thing to do here. I've got to let them know how wrong they are. Like, who cares? Why do you care what somebody, you don't even like, someone said something wrong. Not to me, not even near me, but it just, I came across it. Now I've got to, I've got, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got this calls for action. On my part. I'm not trying to be like that. But when I am, I want it to be about the things that really matter. So when we were, my wife and I were engaged about 30 years ago. 
And you have all these decisions that you're supposed to make, kind of leading up to the wedding and about, um, like, you're starting to register for things. And I made a decision I was going to have very many opinions. I don't need to have a whole lot of opinions. I did you hate flowers, the colors. Now, I learned this. Don't, don't say, I don't care. Don't say that. That's, 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 that's a problem. That's a problem. You don't say that you don't care. You say, oh, tell me what you think. Well, if you like it, I like it. Say something like that. Be engaged, but don't feel like you've got to have opinions about everything. But I had two. I had two really solid ones. The first one was the plate. The plates that we were going to, like the plates we're going to eat with. It can't be like a bowl. And like, what are you talking about? And you know, sometimes you get these plates, right? And they, and they kind of all slope to the middle. So like if you got gravy right here, now there's gravy everywhere. I don't want gravy everywhere. I want gravy. I put it everywhere. I need, I need everything to stay in its zone because my daughter has one of those plastic things with like separate compartments to it where you like you put the things here and then there's... I, if we're okay, can I, can I, can I, I guess I'm a grown up. I, I could start using that, can I? Anyways, I don't like my, I don't like stuff touching. So that was, that was very important to me. Flat plate. The other one was the fork, all right? And I didn't care what it looked like, but here's what I told my wife. I guess she's my fiance. She was like, when you pick that thing up, I want to, like, I got a fork. Like, I hold that thing and I'm like, this thing could do something, right? This thing's going to do some damage. Not like, oh, I have a fork. And then they're like, no, like, I just, whatever I need to attack with this thing, like the, it, it would work. And so she would look at them, and then I would just pick them up. And finally, after 29 years, we're starting to run out of these forks. And said, well, we need to go get some more forks. And again, we're walking around this place just like we did 30 years ago, walking around, do you like this one? And I am, nope. You can, just, you can just tell. And you laugh, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Fewer opinions, but when they come, they matter. And I'm telling you. Who Jesus Christ is, and that he is not just some teacher. He's not just some moral leader. He's not just some prophet. He's not just someone who speaks from God. That matters. And we need to make sure that we are clear on that and that we are willing to recognize, to, for me to say this, it becomes controversial. It become, for, for me to say this, it means some people out there, a lot of people are wrong. And if, but we can't be wrong about this because it is the centerpiece of what we believe and who we are. And what we're going to see not only today, but over the next several weeks, is not only that this is true, but why it matters so much. And so as he's describing Jesus, he says, more, he's, he says he's more than just a prophet. But he continues on. Um, it says, verse 2 says, he, appoint, he was appointed heir of everything, through whom he also made the universe. Verse 3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He says three really incredible things here, and I'm telling you, with, with little effort, I could, I could spend a sermon just talking about each one of those three things. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, who holds it all, sustaining everything by his powerful word. Jesus is much more than a prophet, but you put those three ideas together, you understand that Jesus fully, he is fully God. He is fully God. He's more than just a prophet, and he's fully God. And that first phrase, a real interesting one, he is the radiance of his glory. Now, if you've been around the Christian faith for a while, you maybe have heard the idea that what Christians believe is we believe in a trinity, 
that there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they are different, but there is only one God. It is a very complicated thing. We could spend two hours talking about it, and the more we talked about it, very often the more confused we can get. But we recognize it's very central that there is only one God, but three persons, and we call that the Trinity. And so a Jewish tradition, and they're very strict on the one God, one God, one God. So they're going to be resistant to this idea that Jesus can be God. The Father is God. No one else could be because there's only one God. And so the author here is being really delicate in his phrasing in a way to not put them off, but to help them understand fully who Jesus was. And I love this phrase, the radiance of his glory. Now, the ra- it's different than reflection. Because one of the things in the New Testament, Jesus refers himself as the light of the world. And then he says that we also are the light of the world, but that's really more in a reflective sense. Jesus is the source of light, like the sun, and we're kind of like the moon. The moon shines light, but it's really only a reflective light. And I use that not to say that this is what this is talking about, but as a contrast. The radiance of God's glory. If I were to say, show me God's glory, you might would point to something that you think reflects God's glory, but you can't, you can't see God's glory. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. You can't hear it. It's, it's intangible. Jesus is the radiance of that. It is, it is God's glory that you can't in fact see. This intangible idea about what God is like, it is made, we see it and are able to experience and encounter it in the person of Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, that doesn't sound like that he's, that doesn't sound like he's fully God then. He's just, he's just kind of the radiance. But then what's the next thing that he says? The exact representation of his nature. Oh, bro, but even still, that sounds like carbon copy. He's like a copy. He's like a really good copy, like a really good 3D printer or some sort of a, a really good representation of it. Exact representation. Exact representation of what? Of his being. Everything that God is in his being is what Jesus is. Exactly. God is eternal. God is all-powerful. God is not created. All of those things that are true of God the Father are absolutely true of Jesus. And then to make sure we're completely clear, it says you need to understand, he's the glue that's holding the whole thing together. It is by his word that the whole world is even kept together. He created it. He's holding it together. He is fully God. Why does it matter though? And I think this is really important, especially when we think of it from a Hebrew's perspective. If Jesus is just next in the line of prophets, who has a different idea, a little bonus idea, some different moral codes to add, a different perspective. Hey, look at God this way and kind of put it all together and put it here. He's got kind of some revolutionary ideas around morality and teachings about the way that God thinks of you. If he's just the next in line, then every one of us here is still completely on our own. You're on your own. Then it is still up to you and your ability to understand the rules and to follow them. 
And if you struggle to understand them, if you struggle to follow them, then, you, then you're going to feel a little unbalanced. I mean, up, up until this point, for, for the people who had grown up in this Jewish faith, like if I make a mistake, I got to know what the rules are. And if I can't do this, I have to do this. And if I do this bad thing, then I got to do this thing. I got to make this sacrifice in order to kind of get this thing forgiven. And I got to make sure that I know all the rules and that I'm constantly aware of the fact that if I, break, if I break one, I need to make sure I'm very clear on what the specific remedy for each type of this thing is. And, and maybe Jesus has something new to add to that. But if it's still just one more person just kind of delivering messages from God, but it is not God himself stepping into our world to bring a better hope, then I'm, 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 still, I'm still stuck where I was. I'm, 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 I'm on my own. But this is not just the next in a progression. Hey, we got the Old Testament, and then we got Jesus, and then we got more prophets that have come after. This is something unique. This is God himself saying, I am going to step into this world and bring a better hope beyond just your ability to both understand and follow a certain set of rules. Because every other religion... They come to similar sorts of conclusions, but every one of them, they kind of fall under this idea of there's a certain key that you need to unlock understanding. And if you will just simply understand that life is about submission, that life is about detachment, that life is about the pursuit of morality and pursuit of getting better, and, and you understand if the, the religion, it hands you this key. And once I have this key and I can follow the rules... I mean, maybe you can do okay at that. But there's a better hope. Not just somebody else who's come in to give you a new set of rules. And he describes, he describes Jesus this way and what he did. Okay, we've already talked about this, the great character they had. Continuing in verse 3, he says, After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So when he describes what Jesus has accomplished, or what he's done in the past and what he's done for us, he created everything. He's holding everything together by his word. He provided purification for sins. And now he is sitting at the right hand, at the power seat next to the Father. And we need to understand, we talk about us as followers of Jesus Christ. We are not simply talking about we are people who follow his teachings. We are people, but that's not it. We're not just simply who's following a certain person's wisdom. We are putting our faith and our hope and trust in someone, and we'll say it this way, that Jesus has the power. He has the power over life and death. He created everything. He sustains everything, and he saw the situation with sin and brought hope and life to it. We need to reorient ourselves away from religious ideas. And again, religious ideas. If I, if I have this key that unlocks the way the world works and then I follow these rules and these principles, I can have a good life now and a hope for a better one. Following Jesus isn't like that. This is someone who created Everything, who sustains it by his, by his word. He has all power. This is not just somebody giving you 
top-notch advice. Um, our oldest daughter, Maylee, she's 25, and um, we've known, I mean, she's been a handful most of my, I mean, she's, 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 she's always had really strong opinions about everything. And I could tell you stories when we discovered this when she was only three months old. And it was like, how can you be this stubborn at three months old? How do you know? But here's, I could tell you that story, but we'll start with this. This is when we knew we were in trouble. We knew we were in trouble. She was maybe, she was probably almost three, just turned three, somewhere in there. My wife is trying to get her to, um, to do something as we are desperately always, we're always trying to do. And I'm telling you, this is not 13, you're going to hear this story, not 13, not 15, not 11, not 10, two, maybe three. She looks at my wife and she says, you don't know anything about my life. Sick and tired of you telling me what to do all the time. But how you come up with, how you come up with that at two? How do you even have the language? You don't know anything about my life. And I'm pretty sure my wife's response was, I know everything about your life. I've been here the whole time, right? Who are you to speak into my life? You're just my mom. Yeah, well, the, the one who gave you life, who's been here the whole time, who has an infinite greater experience about the way the world works. When Jesus speaks, he speaks as one who is the creator of the universe, who's holding it all together. And so when he says something to do or not do, he's not dispensing advice. This is someone who designed the world telling you the way the world works. We don't get to look back at God and be like, what, what, what do you know about it? Some prophet comes. But we had, I mean, that made sense 2,000 years ago, I guess. But what about, what about, no, the sustainer and creator of the universe, he knows what he's talking about. And if you add to the fact that he is also good, not only does he know, and I can trust that, but he is good and I can trust him. And then the other thing that he talks about, and I really love the wording here, it says that he also provided purification for sins. There's a lot of words that get used to describe what Jesus did when he died on the cross. The one that I think that we tend to use more than any is forgiveness. Because it, it helps us understand things like, I, I did something wrong now, and there's a penalty that I have to pay. And now I don't have to pay that penalty, which is really good. We, we talk about that, and the, and the Bible describes that a lot. But he uses a different word. And I think it's on purpose because of his specific audience. And I think it can help us too. They understood the concept of forgiveness, but forgiveness was them. I did this bad thing. In order to make up for this bad thing, I had to do this thing. I had to make this sacrifice and do this thing, which wiped away the penalty for this. But it was an ongoing cycle. I did this, I have to do this. I did this, I have to do this. But the sin that was in me the corruption of it, the dirtiness of it, the, 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 for lack of a better word, the stench of it. This system wasn't helping with that. So what Jesus did was more than forgiveness. It was a purification. It was a making right. It was a making clean. It was a making new. It is bringing new life and a new hope and a better hope to you. 
Not one where you're still stuck in the cycle of do bad, make up for it, do bad, make up for it. But you have now been cleansed. You have been made into someone brand new. And while there can be a measure of hope, at least we think there is in that kind of religious sin forgiveness cycle, what we're seeing here from the beginning, and we're going to see week after week after week, all the way leading up to Easter, is a portrait of a completely better hope. One of complete and total purification and forgiveness and redemption and, and connection to the God of the universe. And a better hope that is found not in a really smart prophet, a really moral guy, a really wise teacher, a really awesome messenger from God, but from Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of life. And so my prayer for you today and for these next few weeks is that we would be honest about the, the secondary hopes that we default to and that God would do a transformative work in us to help us focus on the better hope. Let me pray. Thanks again for joining us on our sermon podcast. And you can learn more about us at thegrovechurch.org. And if you go to thegrovechurch.org slash connect, there's a form you could fill out. Just let us know that you've been listening. And if you want to dig deeper on some of these topics that we cover in our sermon podcast or just in other issues of dealing with culture or theology, those kinds of things, uh, you can check out our Cultivate podcast. It's on the same feed, um, however you found this particular podcast. So again, this is Charlie, the lead pastor at The Grove, and thank you so much for joining us.